in this corner with Brian Campbell. Look, before we get even, before we get into anything off the top, the news, the analysis, the impact, anything, Silver King, I just got to say this. 72-year-old Vince McMahon returned to regular WWE television this week and did a blade job and took multiple bumps against a top superstar. Are you kidding me? Look, Vince knows how to put people over, and we saw it maybe better than he's done it since Stone Cold Steve Austin on Tuesday night. I popped for it. It was huge. But I'll tell you what, man, with what I've been through this week, driving a grand total of almost 30 hours from uh, South Florida to Atlanta, Georgia, and back, it's far from the most surprising thing that I have seen. (laughs) Let me just say this about 72-year-old VKM. Thank you. You still got it. Holy crap. Thank you for your old, amazing carny soul. Thank you for selling out. It's <laughs> these moments. I mean, this wasn't a feel spot. Moment. This was a feel spot explosion. But anyway, hit the music. Some of this in this corner with Brian Campbell, the professional wrestling edition is back and it's ready to inject your sensibilities with another lethal dose of that performance enhancing audio. No, this is not the dulcet tones of the insecurely handsome Greek god Nick Costos. This is, in fact, the man whose name is on the marquee. The Brian Campbell nasty Nick remains sequestered inside a Stanford, Connecticut hotel room, lustily swiping in multiple directions as he awaits his return to South Florida following Hurricane Irma. But don't you worry, handsome Nick fans. Not only can you follow his life journey on Instagram at the Costos, you will still be hearing plenty of his voice on this week's very unique episode. We have teased you for weeks since SummerSlam that a bonus pot of interviews would be coming. A can't-miss audio affair, I might add, from the WWE 2K18 red carpet launch party in late August. Well, you will hear said promised audio today on this episode, along with a condensed breakdown of the week that was in WWE. We'll also hit the archives and pay-per-view rewind and revisit the listener's choice submission of the 1997 Halloween Havoc match between Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio Jr. So we won't be getting to every single topic from this week, including how they turned Dolph Ziggler into Damian Sandow on SmackDown or Jack Gallagher's (laughs) surprising heel turn on 205 Live, but we will be hitting up all the biggest topics from what was a wild and spectacular two nights of sports entertainment. We hit you off the top with Vince McMahon. Holy cow, let's get into it. First, fresh from his own Hurricane Irma escapade, taking shelter in Atlanta, Georgia, let me welcome his honor, ITC's most beloved Russian comrade, the great Silver King himself, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. Silver King, you've been working literally around the clock to help keep CBSSports.com running smoothly. (laughs) You, You seemingly drove all night and day to make it back to South Florida. Please update the listeners on your current situation in terms of storm survival. Where do things stand for you? Yeah, uh, exhausted, sore throat, um, don't want to get in a car again for maybe another six months. But I'll tell you guys, yeah, uh, you know, really bad situation down here in South Florida, unfortunately, with Hurricane Irma. Um, It was about a 16-hour drive up north to Atlanta. Uh, You know, in the ATL, I'll tell you this, I had a blast for being a hurricane evacuee, uh, and I'll go there 
anytime I possibly can because I absolutely love the city, love Midtown area, love Buckhead. Shout out to the people in Georgia for being awesome hosts and the people at Salt, uh, Sweetwater Brewery for giving Florida residents free beer for evacuating the hurricane. I mean, wow. how great is that? Wow. So, Shout out to that. Absolutely. Yeah, so so a- absolutely great time in Atlanta, but happy to be back uh, stationed to hold up somewhere. Nick is so close to WWE yet so far from the in this corner podcast <laughs> up there in Stanford, Connecticut, but we're holding down the fort. <laughs> And we are going to have ourselves the best show we possibly can. Like we said, you will be hearing the Greek himself. His voice will be coming later. But we got a lot to get to in a short amount of time. And like I said, a wild week. Let's hit it right off the top with you know what's coming. The main event. This is the main event. Yeah, BC. I mean, we mentioned it in the open here. Look, we had 72-year-old Vincent Kennedy McMahon showing some color, doing a blade job. It looked like it was a legit headbutt, and I think Kevin Owens still made contact. But look, that was a fantastic segment to close out SmackDown. Uh, and there's plenty, plenty to break down on this angle from the entire show. Let's start with the closing segment. As I said, what's the Scoville rating of your feel spot right now, BC, after seeing Vince McMahon take those shots? I mean, could it be any other noise coming out of me? Are you friggin' kidding me? Let me just say this. We kind of alluded to it off the top. Vince is such a damn savage. He still got it. There was always that inkling, that theory that Vince would never ask you to do something as a performer in WWE that he would not do himself. But the problem with that equation is he's crazier than anybody in there. You know, and we loved Mae Young, and we'll get to the Mae Young classic later. We loved Mae Young taking absurd bumps late in her life. I couldn't believe, I should have believed, but I couldn't believe that Vince was willing to do this. And it wasn't, by the way. Here's two things it wasn't. This is why it was so good. It wasn't a cheap ratings get. It happened in the flow of what was a great WWE week in a stretch which has been a pretty damn great run since SummerSlam heading into No Mercy and eventually Hell in a Cell. So it wasn't this, like, let's break glass in case, you know, situation. It also wasn't in a spot that didn't matter in the end. This put over Kevin Owens huge as who he's supposed to be. And you know what he's supposed to be? A psychopath heel who breaks the rules and doesn't care for anyone's life. We saw shades of that in his WWE run. Certainly saw it in NXT. Saw shades of that in the main roster run with Sami Zayn, a little bit with John Cena. But you know what's happened since then, of course? Got a little bit watered down. I loved what he did with Chris Jericho over the past year and a half. Kind of watered him down, though. So to see these two stand off from each other, you knew it was a big moment. You knew it was going to be big for KO. But Adam, I like I said off the top, I never thought we were going to get this. You know, the super kick to the face. The what appeared to be a hard way headbutt. And you just give credit to WWE. I had to watch the replay three times to realize Vince actually did blade. How could you do anything but pop massively to this? No, it, it was fantastic, and this is why Vince is still Vince, and he always will be Vince, and we can sit on this podcast and talk about him overruling you know, storyline decisions and complaining that WWE does things too PG or won't turn Roman Reigns or John Cena heel and blah, 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 and we can bitch about it, but in the end, this is Vince McMahon, and this is why you love him, and you basically just laid it out. I want to go to Hulk Hogan here, because maybe it was yes. a little bit of ass. A little bit of ass kissing on his part here, trying to you know get back in Vince's good graces. But he sent a couple tweets, and um, it's true. Just what he says is true, and there's no one really better than Hulk to understand and know what he saw on Tuesday night. He said, "There's no cry babies in wrestling. Hurt leg, broken finger, neck hurts, broken rib. Doesn't matter. Vince is an OG. Doesn't have to do this stuff. Will do anything 
follow that kid, follow that kids. He has balls. He continued. Vince just taught the new crew how to get somebody over. Now Shane needs to put the icing on the cake and KO will be money forever. I mean, that nails it. It lays it out there to to kind of counter off what you just said. I think they're setting Kevin Owens up for a major main event run on SmackDown. And I think if they can eventually get this title on Shinsuke Nakamura, you have a Nakamura-Kevin Owens feud where Owens can do all the talking. You don't need to worry about Nakamura talking. And you're just talking about something that is beastly for WWE heading into the end of 2017 into 2018. So I think everything we saw last night just set this in motion. And he's right. If Shane can sell for KO the same way his 72-year-old father did on Tuesday night television, (laughs) we're in great shape in WWE right now. First of all, great to hear from Hulk. Haven't heard from him in a while. I mean, you know, we probably know what he was doing. Yeah, he's been bored as he's waiting for his eventual comeback, which will happen. Good news to see him saying some truth right there. A couple uh, minor details in here that, that felt major because there was a lot of attention to those details, which he loved. I popped huge for Vince saying he wasn't mad at Shane for attacking KO. He was mad at Shane for not finishing the job and not kicking his ass. And then, like, that's not just a a rightful continuation of who the character of Mr. McMahon is, right? Like this like evil businessman who, so of course he's going to look at it that way. But it's also sort of like uh, how a lot of dads are. If you had a problem in your neighborhood growing up with another kid who ended up beating you down and your dad went over to that house to talk to him, sometimes there's dads who step up and give you sort of the, the tough guy reaction. You're like, wow, that's not diplomatic. That's not like being a good parent. That's just a tough guy. So you got to see Vince do that about his son Shane, which was very interesting, very cool. And then I love that Vince throws the subtle jab at KO's physique, right? Like he just suddenly looked at him and just ripped his like, he's like, look at you, look at yourself in the mirror. That was absolutely as good as the I suspended Shane because he didn't finish finish the job comment. All of that fantastic across the board. You love, you celebrate again, Vince going to these lengths. You love what it can do for KO. Does this still support, though, Adam, my hope and my potential that this is the breeding ground for a longer term Shane versus Triple H storyline? Because let's not forget if we are going to connect all the dots Triple H vouched for KO last summer, right? When he helped him win the title on that triple threat on Raw, gave, put the belt in his hands, and they never really told the end of that story. So they didn't. I thought what was interesting and what might put, not really a wrench in it because it's easy to forget, but Stephanie came out on SmackDown. We haven't seen Stephanie McMahon for quite some time, and she was out there checking on her dad, obviously, not Shane. So she was on the blue show, not the red show, which... You know, maybe they're they're hoping breaks kayfabe a little bit. Obviously, it doesn't because she's at every show because that's her job. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I hope you're right. I said this, I think, when we brought it up a week or two ago. I hope that's the case. Having a Triple H-led stable of NXT badasses in WWE, I mean, that's what we all want. That's what the, you know, uh, the Nexus was kind of supposed to be, and it kind of fizzled out, and it didn't really work. And sure, tri- Triple H didn't lead them, of course. But there's a way to do that again, especially with when you have – Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish and Adam Cole now. You have that new generation. Um, I think there's a lot to what you're saying. I wanted to follow up on one thing really quick. The Shane McMahon-Vince thing, he's always tried to live up to to his dad's lofty expectations. And you want to talk about slow burn? That's a slow burn over like 20 years of WWE television. And the fact that they were able to bring it back, that made me pop. And it was a little feel spot for me as well. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. I do want to – I want to talk of one other thing here. So we, we, t- we talked about the main event and what happened in the closing segment, but this was a slow burn over the entire show. I want to know, what do you think of KO the remainder of the episode? Because it started out hot, and he had a couple really good backstage segments, too. Absolutely. You love the idea of him 
pushing the, you know, I'm going to sue you. This is going to be the Kevin Owens show. And one by one, almost, you know, going back and touching on old feuds, right? Like saying Sami Zayn's going to be gone right away. Taking a shot at Byron Saxton, uh, you know, and Tom Phillips saying they should wear the same suit was obviously a continuation of what has been a long, fun feud with Byron Saxton on the microphone. Love that. Love him, you know, putting over Aiden English. Love a lot of those tiny details. It felt, again, like what we loved about... uh, the storylines just the week before, how it carried over across the entire show. And it's, you know, it's in terms of keeping you f- interested. You had to see what happened next with Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon last week. This felt like that again. And man, dude, I want Kevin Owens playing the idea of that this is the Kevin Owens show because that means that they're pushing him as an elite main event guy, which he should be. He shouldn't be a guy wearing the U.S. title and feuds that don't matter that he's not even really a part of. It should be this. Uh, you know, it's, it's like it seemed perfect to see this play out. And obviously Vince putting in the soundbud of you're fired if you do sue me and going to the distance of explaining the whole billionaire. So that was, it's gold. It's gold across the board. It was. Now, SmackDown wasn't obviously the only show of the week, and it wasn't the only great show of the week. We had Monday Night Raw, and with that, let's move into the second part of this main event here. We got treated to Cena Reigns 3, as expected, and we also saw Braun Strowman stand tall against not just Brock Lesnar again, but John Cena as well, the real face that runs the place. BC, there was so much going on on Raw. Where do you want to start with this pure fire edition of Monday Night Television? Let me just start as a whole and say, outside of that absolutely mailed-in main event, you, you do have it's a sore thumb. You have to say it. That's a house show, dark match, tag team main event. It was predictable. It's an eight-man tag. Like, come on. And by the way, it ended with no continuation of any kind of storyline. So outside of that being a massive sore thumb, holy crap. Did they go head-on with the NFL once again? And you love to see that head-on with a doubleheader of Monday Night Football, right? Like going right into the wind here and spitting and saying we are standing our ground. I mean, you open up with Roman Reigns and Jason Jordan, which had some electricity. You already announced that, by the way, Cena Strowman, at that point we thought it was going to be the main event. Cena Strowman's going to be the main event. You're like, wow, we're like, what is happening right now? The commitment was perfect. And then, of course, how it played out. You said we expected Cena Reigns 3. I wasn't so sure what would happen here. I I thought they might mix up the formula this time around. And when it looked like they didn't, when Cena comes running back to talk to Reigns himself in his face, I'm like, okay, round three, where are we going to go? Is this going to feel like round three of Mayweather? the McGregor's four-day international Mm -hmm. press tour where round three went in the gutter because they had no material left. You know what happened in the end? It was simple this week, and I may have liked this better than all three. It didn't have the exact same... Uh, same attention to detail in the dialogue of week one of the first one in terms of where it was just like, wow, these guys are taking shoot shots. It was a little bit more of a recycling of the general themes overall, but I loved the back and forth and the tenor of it that Reigns went on such a run that I even tweeted out in the middle of that like this is great this is what we need from Reigns short bursts of awesomeness yeah I didn't like that he reached too far and said Cena can't make good matches that was you know it didn't make sense right it's not even true outside of that he was on such a hot run and needed to be on such a hot run because when Cena delivered the drop the mic closer about the drug test where you naturally go oh man they are going there you know, referencing, of course, not just Reigns' failed Adderall test, which got him popped, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, but, you know, the idea that the younger generation might be using or just the whole hush-hush idea of who's using and who's not, that was fantastic, and I think you needed to build up Reigns first to hammer that Ceno victory home. Yeah, I had the same issue with you with Raw as a whole. I don't know why you end it with that match when SmackDown the next night showed you you can add with a promo seg- uh, end with a promo segment or with 
Cena Braun Strowman, a match everyone wants to see that you could maybe lead into that promo segment. So I thought that was really strange, but okay, I'm getting the bad out. You know, I always have to do that. I'm a pessimist <laughs> by nature. Let, let's get to the good. Outside of the promo where, where Roman Reigns said absolutely nothing, this was his best promo in WWE. And I think you credit John Cena with setting him up for the lines that he needed to deliver. Obviously, uh, comparing John Cena's Hollywood career to The Rock, saying, John, WWE doesn't need you. You need WWE to get over and be popular. Guess what? That's accurate. The Rock is the biggest Hollywood star of all time. John Cena has tried, and he hasn't failed. He's doing well in some comedies, but those action movies, John, they're not working for you like they do for Dwayne oh, Johnson. Oh, come on. You love the Marine. You love all the whole franchise. I know you do. I did not see any of them. I'm just, I couldn't. <laughs> I, I, that's not, there is no interest there. I don't want to see John Cena as the Marine. I don't want to see the Miz as the Marine. I don't want to see Randy Orton as the Marine. I don't want to see a wrestler faking being a Marine. I'd rather see a real Marine do it. But anyway, um, yeah, the drug test was fantastic. Uh, consider it like a drug test, Holmes. What was it? You ain't getting past me. Thought that was a solid line. But yeah, listen, Roman Reigns delivering the stuff about The Rock. I know a guy who can help you. I mean, well-delivered, well-rehearsed on his part, credit to him. And you have to say, he's getting better on the mic in this feud with Cena. It's one of the reasons they're putting them together. Maybe one of the reasons they're doing it now, in addition to going up against the NFL, to get him prepared for a lot heavier lifting mic work-wise heading into WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah, fair enough on that. And you just give him you give him the, the, you know, the applause that it worked three weeks in a row. Now, once again, I'm like, what's going to happen next? They're going back to the well? They're going to do something different? Either way, I'm so focused and ready because they haven't touched. And I say that every week, but that's important. So when they finally do, it's going to matter. Second half of what made Raw so good, or at least so interesting, uh, a clear talking point was Braun Strowman massively standing tall. Adam, I had this moment where, you know, he not only beats down Brock Lesnar, but humiliates him, like stands on his chest level humiliation, okay? That's a moment in a conversation to itself. But to back it up by having a decent, not great, a decent match with Cena, but physically dominating, getting DQ'd, standing on the steps, doing the fake you can't see me, all of that stuff. Has anyone ever received a push this hardcore? He just went over Cena and Lesnar on the same night and humiliated both of them. Like, he's already on a hot run. But even if that hot run didn't happen, this one night is like some people's entire career in like a 10-minute stretch. Absolutely insane. I mean, I, it just kept building too. Like you saw it happen, and you knew you knew Cena wasn't going to go over because, God forbid, WWE did that. Like people would have absolutely lost their <laughs> minds if they put Cena over him. So you knew that was going to end in a DQ, and you knew he was going to come out on top there. Uh, everything you said is true about it. I, I don't want to really rehash it because it was just so fantastic and so well done by WWE. And the whole way they they've been building Braun Strowman for the last five months, six months, but from before his injury to through the injury, coming back from the injury, getting him over on reins in the ambulance matching, and all the way to now, it's really been, they're making a WWE champion, a dominant WWE champion, and they're making a guy who can, universal champion, I'm sorry, and they're making a guy who will be able to lead Raw when Brock Lesnar takes his time off. Because you know I'm tired of Brock Lesnar. I know other people are tired of Brock Lesnar. WWE does not need, and Monday Night Raw does not need Brock Lesnar if they have Braun Strowman at the best of his abilities. I want it, we're not going to mention it in the field spot. I want to tell you that made me something that made me pop. We saw a six foot eight, 335 pound man take a German suplex, roll out of it, and stand on his feet. Now, I know it was meant to be impressive. The fact that he can actually do that is impressive. 
I've never seen anything like that before. Well, the fact Braun Strowman, A++++. And the fact that there's somebody on this roster who can believably no-sell a Brock Lesnar suplex. I mean, he wears Suplex City shirts. It's his catchphrase. And to have right. somebody, because look, for a half second, I was like, oh, no, what are we doing here? Right? When he stood on his chest for a half second, I'm going, no, why, wait, what? What? To, to Brock? Then you sort of obviously quickly do the math and go, well, look. Who else are you going to do that to? You can do that once with Big Show, right? Because just the mere size of it. But eventually, we've seen B- Big Show job to everyone now after this long of a career. There's nobody else who you really can do that. And I'm sorry. I know that Brock has to feud with other people that are smaller, that are like Bro- that are Dean Ambrose level. But when Dean Ambrose in the build to a Brock Lesnar feud has his week where he goes, you know, where he gets the best of him and stands tall, it's not believable unless there's, you know, a massive weapon involved. This is finally somebody who can allow Brock to maybe do that Hogan, Cena, fiery comeback type thing. It's it's incredible to see. I want to see where they go next from this because you don't see Brock get handled that easily. Goldberg special situation, you don't see Brock get handled that easily. Will he come back? Will he end up winning this feud? Will it be a, a clean handoff to Braun? I'm very interested to find out. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Like, it, do, Are we going to get a clean finish at No Mercy? And if we do, is Braun going to go over? Because you know they're trying to build to Lesnar Reigns at WrestleMania, and it seems like that's back on, because I don't really see a reason it wouldn't be. You're not going to rehash Strowman Reigns at WrestleMania. Um, so are they going to put him over clean? And if so, does that really damage Lesnar? Or do you get him the win back at Survivor Series or you know December pay-per-view or, or even the Royal Rumble leading into it? It's just, it's we mentioned it when they started the feud. Is it too soon? And... I don't think it is too soon because we're popping so much and we, we mentioned the NFL thing and they needed something major, but they don't have one major storyline going up against the NFL. They have two when honestly one of them would have sufficed. They could have thrown out Reigns, Cena now and saved Lesnar Strowman for Royal Rumble, you know, leading right in. I just don't know what's going to happen. Like I, I'm ups- I'm always worried with WWE that we get so excited for things like this and then they let us down in the end. Well, I have and to- TV is... TV has been so awesome recently. Yeah. I'm just concerned we're going to get to No Mercy and like, yeah, uh, the Lesnar used a chair or Strowman threw him into the ring post and got disqualified or, you know, I, that's where my concern is. I think is. you're onto something. Am I wrong? Here. No, you, you're not wrong to, to have concern in that area. But look, I know that there was talk earlier this year that they had used up the, uh, that they'd used up too many Brock Lesnar dates last year too early and he was gone for a long time. This year they were hoping to use him more. You know, I, I feel like, though, he's not, he's not he can't be there from now until Christmas, right? He's not going to be there every week, every feud. He's a part-timer. Whether you're using him more than last year or not, he's still a part-timer. So he's going to have to go away for a while. So I think you want to make him going away matter to where he doesn't look as bad. So I think he can still lose to Braun and give up the belt, but save face through injury, through Braun being a savage and using a weapon. And then that sends Brock away, not looking horrible, where when he comes back and he's seeking comeuppance from anyone, maybe it ends up being Reigns and that's how you start that feud, it'll still work if it's handled right. So I'm not as worried in that regard. I'm just more, you know, sliding out of the analyst chair and sitting in the fan chair going, you got me. I don't care which direction you go. I just want to find out. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. I want to see this. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And let's move on to the third part of this main event, the Mae Young Classic, and really WWE's women's division as a whole. Lots of big news in it, but let's start with Kerry Sane going over Shayna Baszler in the finals on Tuesday night live from Las Vegas. She has earned an NXT women's title shot for the vacant title, uh, we assume, at the TakeOver card prior to Survivor Series. Let's start with this, BC. Was... Sane going over Baszler, the right call. 
I don't think it was. And it still could have been the right call had they done a little bit more to the storyline after the match. And let me explain it like this. Look, the Mae Young Classic was pretty good, okay? I'm not going to sit here and rip it. Like, there were moments where there was just not great wrestling in the ring. Sometimes in the Cruiserweight Classic in the early rounds, there was a couple of those moments, too, to be fairly honest, right? But it the, the tournament as a whole did accomplish a goal. You have now some more true new characters that appear WWE or at least NXT ready right now. You want a greater influx, a mix of women superstars that, that cover the whole board, right? They're from different countries. They have different looks. Some are larger, some are smaller. This accomplishes that. You get a new mix in there. Sane has incredible charisma, incredible athleticism, got that sort of, you know, Asian element of mystery, sort of what, you know, Shinsuke and Asuka have. It's good. Why I question whether this was the right move handling it this way was this. We came to this tournament final excited, partially because of Ronda Rousey. Why? Because WWE got us really excited at the potential of Ronda Rousey having a giant factor in this. Not only was she in the crowd to support Shanna Baszler during the whole tournament, not only was WWE leaking videos that the Four Horsemen women versus Four Horsewomen feud looks like it's starting right now. It looks like, without them even announcing it, that it seems obvious that Rousey's going to be there. So they did the Mae Young class. They had the red carpet. They put it after SmackDown. They did it in Vegas. It felt like a big event. But part of that big event at least this is just my opinion, was getting you excited to see Rousey play a factor in this. I came into last night, Tuesday night, legitimately thinking they might announce Rousey's like start in the company. They might be that clean of a handoff, right? She might be a part of an angle. So while I say Sane going over clean like this, was this the right move or not? Because let me put it to you like this. While Rousey was in the crowd, and while she did give an interview backstage afterwards with ESPN where asked about her future, she shut it down right away and said, no, this is Shanna Baszler's night. That felt like a fail because of this reason. You exit the Mae Young Classic without a viral Ronda Rousey video from last night, and you say, well, maybe that was their point. They wanted it to be all about Sane and Baszler. Sane and Baszler are good, but they're not great. And this tournament isn't great enough to make that the calling card. WWE, you made Rousey partially the calling card of us wanting to tune in and watch this. So here's how it could have ended differently last night in my eyes. Have Baszler go over. Have Rousey in the ring afterwards celebrating with her, and you got that video right there. Maybe interview both in the ring. You got your viral video where you go, wow, it really looks like Ronda Rousey's going to be a part of this. Or number two, if you still really like Sane and she's the babyface and that was the right move to put her over, have Baszler attack her during the celebration trophy sequence afterwards and then have maybe the original four horsewomen who are in attendance, right, come out and try to save the day, have Rousey jump the barrier, have another stare down in the ring. That still accomplishes more than what they accomplished last night. You know what they accomplished last night? It was kind of a pat on the back. Hey, look at us. We pushed women moment. And yes, you get credit for that. And it was, like I said, a pretty good tournament overall. I'm just saying, Adam, I feel like they missed an opportunity. And I almost feel like it was a bit of false advertising. That might be too far. But I feel like it was a bit of false advertising that we were going to get some Rousey and we didn't in the end. So I almost have nothing to add because you laid it out brilliantly there. I'll say this. I don't agree with the false advertising standpoint. And I said this to you before. Them getting Rousey involved was great and it brought attention to it. But in the moment on a 31-minute extra show final that's airing live after SmackDown on the WWE Network, you want to put over the champion – not the champion, the, the match that you're seeing there, the two women that are in it, and the tournament that got them there. They showed Ronda Rousey plenty on television. I agree – now, that's where I disagree with you from. Here's where I agree with you. The second, uh, you know, angle that you suggested there with Baszler attacking 
Hera through the end of the match, and then the four horsewomen versus four horsewomen stare down, maybe separating the other competitors in the ring. They had to do that. I can't believe they didn't do it because they had them all in the crowd. They had the four horsewomen with Oscar, by the way, sitting front row, cheering for uh, what's her name? Oh wow, I can't Shade believe that. So Carrie Zane. Zane. No, yeah, I don't know why it totally slipped my mind. Um, every single time she did something well, and then you had Rousey cheering for Shayna Baszler every time she yeah, did something. Stop, well. Let me stop so you right there. What if just Rousey walked up to Oscar and didn't say anything, and they just glared for five seconds? That viral video would have won the whole tournament for me, right? Absolutely, and, and there's m so much money in Rousey in WWE. I mean, I think at the beginning of this very podcast, when we started it back, what was it, March, April, or whenever, we were talking about Ronda Rousey in WWE and how cool it would be and would she be at WrestleMania and you know, so on and so forth. And now we're at a point where it's going to happen. I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. Ronda Rousey will be wrestling in a WWE ring sooner than later. Maybe they do you know, a match before the Four Horsewomen versus Four Horsewomen. Maybe the Four Horsewomen match is the first match, and then you get Ronda Rousey versus either Charlotte Flair or Stephanie McMahon, hopefully Charlotte Flair, at <laughs> WrestleMania as an offshoot from that. Um, but she's going to be in WWE. She's reportedly training to wrestle. I believe those reports. All of her friends are basically involved in wrestling in some way. Her UFC career is basically over. She's married. I assume at some point she wants to get pregnant and have a kid. I mean, this is the, her future. We've seen it work with Brock Lesnar. And as great as Brock Lesnar is, as much charisma as Brock Lesnar has, I think Ronda Rousey, if she really did it either full-time or 75% full-time, could be a bigger, better wrestler in WWE than Brock Lesnar so because she'd be more important is your to the women's division. Ultimately, that it wasn't the time to reveal Rousey in this way that I want because it's on the WWE network. And really, let's be really honest, how many SmackDown watchers that watch Vince ending immediately went to the network and watched the Mae Young Classic final? Probably not a whole heck of a lot, to be really honest with you. So does this work better on a Raw leading into a big pay-per-view or just maybe on the next pay-per-view you have a match that involves Baszler and Rousey's in the crowd and that's when you start churning it? Or maybe you do it at the takeover, you know, maybe Baszler's not involved in that title match, but she's involved in an undercard match and the four, you know, she disrespects someone and the four horsewomen, you still do basically what you said. I mean, look, first of all, they have to sign Shayna Baszler. I don't believe she's under contract with WWE and neither were a lot of the women in that tournament. I think there was like two. Maybe Carrie well, Sane think, and well, let me maybe put it like this. Other. I think a tell on that was something you and I both watched last week's NXT episode, which was taped a few weeks before that in August, showed the end of the Asuka era. They officially stripped her of the belt because of the injury, sent her off to the main roster. You had the whole NXT locker room coming out and clapping on the stage. You had Asuka delivering some really just cute, the best word is cute, some cute moments of broken English, of putting herself over, and the whole crowd and the whole company just embracing her. If you looked on the stage and you noticed the women that were there from the tournament, there was a couple that were already in the company that we saw in NXT, like Abby Lath, girls like that, but you saw uh, a, a couple more. Now, you saw Sane at that point, so that pretty much told you you know, her direction more. You saw Rhea Ripley, the, the, the really strong, promising-looking 20-year-old from Australia, I didn't see too many others from this tournament. So it'd be interesting to see how many of them they did sign. But here's a key point about Rousey. Her entrance into this, to a small degree, is reluctant upon how good Baszler's going to be and what her future is with the company. So how good from that finals match did you, and from what you've seen in the tournament of Baszler, how good of a feeling did you get that she can compete on this level right now? So I don't mean this to be an insult, and it might sound like one, but it's not meant that way. And it's also not a look thing. It's just how I feel about her as a performer. To me right now, she's a female version of Baron Corbin. And that's good and bad. It's good because she has no experience in WWE. 
and Baron Corbin had no experience as a wrestler. They've both made very quick turns and been relatively impressive in what they're able to do. For Corbin, it's mostly some of his maneuvers and his power. For her, it's just her natural ability to be a fighter. Um, they both have a ways to go and a lot to build. But if they're going to have a four horsewomen match, she's the probably the most prepared out of any of them to actually be in a ring. So they need to sign her and work her up. But I think she has a future. I think she's talented. Um, there's another woman, her name's escaping me right now, on NXT right now, who has a mixed martial arts yeah, good gimmick. fighting gimmick. And I'm sorry for, for forgetting her name. But um, So they already kind of have that woman, but I don't mind having two Sonya or DeVille. three. Or, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, so I don't mind having multiple women. But uh, but going back to the other point, and I think Baszler's fine. I think WWE will eventually sign her because she does have the name value. What The biggest thing coming out of the Mae Young Classic for me is WWE not screwing up like they did coming out of the Cruiserweight Classic. They did not sign Zack Sabre Jr. They did not sign Kota Ibushi. Now, I don't know if they've really spoken on record about it, and I certainly don't know anything. But I would guess their concerns were being pigeonholed as cruiserweights and only fighting on a 205 Live show and not getting, you know, main roster rub against competitors and stuff. Now, that's not going to be the same situation here. These women will probably mostly go to NXT and then filter on to the main roster. But there is a lot of talent. There was a lot of talent in this Mae Young Classic. No, not all 32, like you said, but there were eight, 10 that should have WWE contracts and if anyone stood out to you, I have a list. I want to know if you have any that really stood out to you that you think WWE should sign. Absolutely. Look, it appears they've already signed Rhea Ripley. This is a really smart call. She's very tall, almost five foot eight from Australia, only 20 years old, has, you know, incredibly beautiful, has a great look, but physically can work in there and can be a taller Charlotte-like performer. Seems like she can talk a little bit with that Australian accent. Accent That seems like a great pickup. The one who I haven't seen yet, who's really hot in the independent scene, of course, is Tessa Blanchard, the daughter of Tully Blanchard. She grew up with Magnum TA as her stepfather i mean she looks third generation and she was in this tournament lost in the first round but guess what she can work like you can just there's some things you can't teach that you can see she's hot in the indie scene because she's in a uh because she's good but she's also in a relationship with ricochet so she travels a lot to the shows that he's in i know he's not currently it doesn't look like on on the road to wwe i'd love to see her get that chance as well I was kind of impressed by Serena Deeb's comeback. We saw her, of course, with uh, with CM Punk back in the day. She's a little bit older now. It's almost like a Mickey James situation, trying to make a run. She looked she looked fine. I was more impressed, though, to be honest with you, Adam, with some of the women that are already in the system, right? And I'm talking specifically uh, about a few of them that that really stood out to me in the sense that. Uh, Bianca Blair. We've seen her on NXT a few times as Bianca Blair. Now it's Bel Air. She uses the the long ponytail hair whip. That's a great gimmick. She's engaged yes. to Montez Ford of the Street Profits already in the NXT system. I think that she could be a star and do big things right there. Couple others stood out like Candice LeRae, who's Johnny Gargano's wife. She's been good on the independent scene in the past. Couple uniques like Piper Nevin from Scotland, right? Has a unique look and, and charisma. I could see a lot of these girls stepping into NXT and being maybe even a little bit better than some of the other ones in there. See, here's what's funny is that I put a list together and the, the WWE did such a good job booking this tournament that you didn't name a single person on my list. Like, that's how good of a job they did. I think Tony Storm is a future WWE Women's Champion. Like, main roster, you could probably put her there now. She doesn't need to go with that. swagger. Yes, swagger. Legit. Absolutely. And she's really talented in the ring. I thought Zeta's really good. She's gotten some matches in NXT. I don't know if those are going to be tryouts for her to possibly get a gig or or whatever, but I liked her. I like her look. I like her just overall gimmick. I think it's pretty cool. And Jazzy Gabbert, she's like an Ivan Drago, like a woman's version of an <laughs> Ivan Drago. And she's a beast in the ring. Like they need women like that. And I'm sorry, you know, we do have one in Nia Jax who's really talented, 
the SmackDown version of Nia Jax, eh, not so much. I'd rather have Jazzy Gabbard on SmackDown kicking some ass. Um, so there's some real talent there. And I think those three, if you added them to the NXT system or, again, Tony Storm, put her on the main roster tomorrow, uh, she can hang with anyone over there. Yeah. But I, I thought it was a good tournament overall. Yeah, it was It was yeah. pretty good. It was pretty darn good. Some really good matches, some really good just girls taking that next level step that you're like, okay, I could see them tomorrow on WWE TV, and I hope I do. And I do apologize for missing Tony Storm on my original list. She, she definitely looks strong. Well, Adam, with the main event behind us, it's time to get to the meat of the show. Two nights before SummerSlam this year in August, Inside Manhattan, Nick and I attended the WWE 2K18 launch party. And I got to give credit to the 2K people. They always put on the best party of the year. The access is incredible. They had a red carpet set up this time around where we got our own exclusive interviews with some of the, the top performers from AJ Styles on the way down. We're talking about really good gold here. So the, the, the Greek may not be with us here in spirit. But he'll be with us here in audio as we play this. Let's start right off the top talking to the face that runs the place, right? The champ that runs the camp, whatever he wants to call himself these days, AJ Styles. AJ, I got to ask you, I've been waiting forever to ask you. Last December, you have like a match of the year candidate contender with Dean Ambrose, TLC. Incredible. At some point, you roll over and realize there's a hole in your arse. Tell me about it. Well, I actually, uh, Dean Ambrose said to me while, while broken through a table, uh, I'm gonna. He said, "You're gonna need new gear." And I what? Yeah, you think? Oh, he's got. He felt a draft. I didn't because my. I literally. Uh, I felt something like ah, it hurt. Because a lot of people would claim that I had a wardrobe malfunction. That's not true. My wardrobe did exactly what it's supposed to do when something metal and sharp is going through it. So, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, you were a legit two to three inches away from the trouble zone. Yeah, what uh, would have happened in that spot? Let's I, be honest. I, honestly, I, you just see my butthole. That's what <laughs> would have happened. I would have been out there doing what I do. And to tell you the truth, uh, people seem to, you know, oh my God, his, his, his gear's ripped. And then they seem to forget about that. That's how you know you're having a good match. And you dodged a bullet there. What would you say is your biggest in-ring faux pas, the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you in-ring over the course of your career? Man, that's a hard one. I, we work for CBS. We got to give you. Well, tough I mean, I, it's not really a tough question because I, I, I mean, we we don't get really get embarrassed at this point in our careers. You know, I just just go with it all. I mean, I had Dusty Rhodes at, at some point in my career pull my pants down and give me a whooping in the <laughs> in the middle of a match. So if I'm not embarrassed by that, showing a butthole wouldn't have embarrassed me either. What kind of guy was the American Dream? It's awesome. Just a great guy. Always good to me. So, uh, so much respect for him. Uh, such, so friendly to me, man. I'll never forget him. We talk a lot about trying to get a match of the year, trying to get a five-star match. In WWE, what's your best performance so far? I would have to say my best performances have been with John Cena. Um, you know, five-star five matches, you know, that's, that's you know, to everybody's opinion, not just one guy. You got to like what you like and, and know what you like to understand it. Um, so five stars, four stars, it doesn't matter to me as, as long as the, when those people leave, they go, holy cow, that was fun. That's you, all that matters. You know, a, a large portion of the fan base for our podcast, any wrestling podcast, the so-called IWC, the internet wrestling community, they love you. We love you. Do you pay any attention to that at all? The fact that you are maybe like, as far as WWE is concerned, at least the golden boy, at least of the IWC. Well, Do you care? I mean, I, well, yeah, I care. That makes me feel good about myself. You know, that I must be doing something right if I got the, you know, the internet loving what I do, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, they're the fans. I got to make sure that they're going to continue to watch our show. So if they aren't happy, I'm not happy. 
Who is the best wrestler in the world, not currently in WWE? Ooh. Mm. Well, if, uh, if, if we're saying it, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people would say Kenny Omega, but from top to bottom, I mean, I would probably go with someone like Christopher Daniels. Um, the reason why I say that is because he's so smart when it comes to putting the little things together that matter the most. Um, a lot of this stuff that, you know, everybody does and inside and outside the ring is incredible. But how do you do it when you can't, when you're not able to do those things anymore? That to me is just brilliant. When you and Christopher Daniels can still do it all. So, and and I'm a little biased because he's my best friend. So, which finishing move hurts the most? Let's be really honest with each other here. Finishing move that hurts. You know, well they they all vary in and how they're given. Um, I mean, Roman Reigns could slash you in half, legit. Uh, and and joking, uh, which has happened before, has put me to sleep literally. So you know, it, it all depends on how they're feeling today and how much uh, energy the crowd is giving you. Sometimes you get a little carried away, and things happen. You know, so who's to say who has the the, the one that hurts the most? Uh, speaking of energy with the crowd, your stuff that you've been doing with Kevin Owens and Shane has been electric recently. The crowd's going nuts for it. When you're in the ring, do you have a sense of? Because I know you're obviously locked into what you're doing, but do you have a sense of like, wow, like? They're going nuts for this right now. This is awesome. Absolutely. You know exactly what's you know going on around you, and because you got to listen to the crowd and you got to give them what they want to see, and sometimes they want to be heard. So I just let them do their thing. Most importantly, here, if you had to have your theme song remixed, and your options are Nickelback and Justin Bieber to do the producing on this, who are you picking? I'm going with Justin Bieber. Why? Why? The, the, you know, despite people hating this kid, sometimes he's put out some really good stuff. So say what you want. This this kid's a millionaire, uh, and so uh, he must know what he's doing. Hey, you got a great head of hair. Don't let anybody tell you differently. I'm this dad here, the soccer mom here. F them, right? Hey, well, listen, buddy. When when the women start telling me that I look stupid, maybe then I'll cut it. Dudes doesn't bother me one bit. Adam, I popped massive for that. I popped massive for AJ taking my question about the hole in his arse and just going with it right there. I mean, that was that was a great match, and that was almost a, a crazy moment, right? Yeah, um, I thought his recollection of that moment, I guess you could say, was very uh, funny, a little bit funnier, calling Christopher Daniels the best wrestler not in WWE. I mean, yeah, granted, he said he was biased and, and he's his best friend, but uh, yeah, I thought we were going to get a shout out to Kenny Omega there and I know. a little it's disappointed like we didn't hear that. We throw the alley-oop to AJ for a reason there. We want to we wanna hear him put over Kenny because we know, of course, when AJ exited the Bullet Club, it was Kenny that beat him down, that put him in the Styles Clash, right? That took the took the 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 crown from him and has obviously ran to it to our, obviously higher levels within NJPW than AJ ever did. It would have been nice to hear that, but you know, he, he put over his good buddy right there. So By the way, the best part of that interview saying that as long as women like the hair, he's going to keep it. He doesn't care what the guys say guess what that's the right answer yeah, well, there you go there you go keep the soccer mom look alive well i did double dip on the idea of that 2016 tlc main event match between aj styles and dean ambrose the famous hole in his arse match because we got a chance to talk to dean ambrose about that same thing and much more let's hear what the lunatic fringe had to say dean ambrose we have you here cbs sports in this corner podcast we had aj earlier we brought up that match of the year contender you had last year December TLC the hole in AJ's arse can you relive that moment for us when did you know how did you tell him well I think I, I do remember I think I was underneath a table or I was put through a table looking through shards of table and I remember what you're talking about because I remember just being like 
I mean, we're in a heated fight right now, you know what I mean? We're not friends, but, you know, I got to tell him, you know, he might have just put me through a table, but I had to be like, dude, your balls are showing, man. <laughs> Do you have a, another story from your career, WWE, non-WWE, where something like that has happened? Wardrobe malfunction, something embarrassing in the ring, either to you or your opponent, where you've got to sort of go on the fly and try and figure it out. Yeah, mine were showing once, too. And, uh, well, one of them, you know, I had to, you know, <laughs> just get it back up in there. But that was back when I used to wear, I used to wear trunks for some reason. I, luckily, they, I, it's a lot harder to have a wardrobe malfunction in jeans. It's a lot harder to wrestle, but, you know, I just got to make sure my flies up and my belt's tight and I'm pretty good, so. Dean, I come from the 80s. I'm old school. I like blade jobs. I'm sorry. You have an extreme background. Do you miss it, too, in this PG era? If it were up to me and I ran the WWE Universe, which I don't, it would look a lot different. I don't know if that would be good or if that would be bad, but I, I tell you that, uh, you know, when, uh, when I look back on some of the crazy stuff I did, uh, if I can remember any of it, <laughs> I, I remember my first, you know, being uh, in WWE and stuff, be like, be like, I'm never going, I'm so glad I don't have to do that again. So glad I would never, man, it's just, life is good now. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. And uh, put my body through that. And now, now I look back at it and I go like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we just had like a full-on deathmatch tournament on the network? <laughs> like, I'd be like, okay, I'm in. Like, now I'm kind of like, ah, oh, remember how the, you know, there's nothing, nothing quite like the adrenaline and the feeling of your heart pumping and feeling like hot that hot uh, crimson mask on your face, you know what I mean? But, uh, that, you know, that's a different era, and that's not uh, today. So, uh, yeah, but that's what the WWE Network is for. Yeah, yeah, believe it. You know what the network is also for? Going back and reliving the Shield days, and you're giving a tease these days. Is that the most fun time you had in your career, that run? Uh, that definitely was a, uh, it was a very exciting time for us because that was uh, our, our initial foray into WWE, and we, we got thrown right into the deep end and uh it was uh, very much sink or swim for us so it was an all for one mentality and it was a very it was an intense time for us because we were like we didn't know how this was going to shake out and we were just trying to get basically the whole point of it was we were just trying to get our foot in the door you know that, that was it we had no idea that it would uh turn into the thing that it did and that five years later that these are the questions i'm fielding in a thing like this you know what i mean so uh yeah i mean uh it was it definitely was the most uh it was definitely an exciting and intense time, you know. Hey, I'll tell you, Adam, we're going to go behind the, you know, behind the fourth wall here, do a little inside baseball. Dean Ambrose comes up to me on the red carpet, and I know he's got that history of crazy matches, crimson masks, uh, you know, extreme uh, matches. I mean, he's before coming to WWE on the independent circuit, he, he wasn't afraid to play job. He wasn't afraid to go nuts. So with the PR rep stepping aside, it, Dean comes up, I go for it, I ask him that. You couldn't have asked for a better answer right there. I was surprised, you know, sometimes these guys surprise me in how honest they are. And if the PR rep wasn't there, maybe that's why. But Dean doesn't really seem to care much about what other people think, not just in character, but in real life. He, you know, he's one of those guys that what you see on TV is pretty much it seems what you get in real life. I really loved his answer about, you know, if WWE's too PG these days and, and what he would change. And he basically said everything, which, 
you know, I think he, there's a lot of old school wrestling fans and probably some guys in that company that feel the same way, but wouldn't actually say that. I mean, he was talking about he wants to do a death match on the WWE Network. He <laughs> wants the feel of that hot crimson mask on your face. I mean, that was fantastic. Next up is a chat with Bailey who opens up about recovery from her shoulder surgery and being removed from an important storyline and also addresses the elephant in the room, the negative reaction she has received of late from fans. We were so excited for your match with Alexa Bliss at SummerSlam. It's. We talked about it on our podcast. How bummed we are. How are you feeling right now? What's your mental state like right now? I, I think I've finally accepted that I'm not having this championship match. Yeah. Um, seeing Sasha get the match kind of like ease my heart a little bit. You know, of course it's heartbreaking. This was going to be my first SummerSlam, and it was a title match. And I still have been wanting revenge on Alexa, so I was really much looking forward to it. But. Uh, Knowing that Sasha's going to have this match now, and I hope she gets it back. And I'm glad. I'm just happy that I get to be here and get to see it. I, I literally, I didn't think I was going to be a part of SummerSlam week at all. So I'm happy that I, they still brought me out here. No, it's been an interesting couple of months for you. Yeah. A couple matches with Alexa Bliss, the interview that you had with Corey Graves on Raw, sort of the evolution of your character, where you brought yourself all the way back from those losses to win the number one contendership be on the precipice of potentially winning the championship, now the injury. What's next for you? Sort of as you sit and you're alone and you think about how this is going to play out moving forward, how do you sort of envision it going once you're back and healthy? Um, I mean, I think I still will deserve a title match, a title rematch, but uh, honestly, like, I don't mind just coming back and starting all over because this has really, like, there's a lot of time, a lot of downtime to sit and think about what's important and what makes me happy and just being a part of it. I miss going to the live events. I miss being at Raw. I miss being with my friends. I miss being in the ring and being in front of the crowd. So um, I just want to get better, but at a very safe and slow pace. And then once I come back, um, they're going crazy over there. Once I come back, you know, <laughs> uh, eventually want to get back to the title picture, but I don't mind just getting, getting out there and putting me in random matches. Like, I'll take on anybody. I just want to get back. With that time that you've had to sort of sit back and reflect, because I feel like a lot of people said, especially in the extreme match, we want to see Bailey get extreme, add that element to her character. And you've always been like true to yourself, which I think is very cool. Yeah. But now that you've had this time to sit and reflect, when you come back, will there be any wrinkles to what we've seen? Or are you always going to be true to yourself, straight up, straight up Bailey? I don't know, because this is like a, an injury is very annoying and it's very... You know, maybe things would have been different if I did use the kendo stick. Maybe I, I would have won that match, and maybe I wouldn't be out with this shoulder injury right now. So uh, I don't really like to regret anything or, you know, uh, you live and you learn. But I think I'll come back better than ever. That's I, all I could say. Can I be honest with you? Sure. Something that really bothered me. The crowd in Toronto a couple weeks ago, we talked about this on our podcast. I thought that was so unbelievably lame. And I actually said that there is not one city in the entire world that that would have happened in except for Toronto. I, I felt like, and this is my opinion, like they wanted to make themselves part of the show. At, and it happened at your expense. I, I killed them on our show that week. When you're in the ring and that's happening, like, are you like, is this for real? Because like, it's not even just like that, that you're generally cheered by the crowd. But you're out there like thanking them for being good to you after an injury. Like, that, that was so low and like so wrong like how did you feel about that I mean, it's wrestling that's how the fans like fans are allowed to fans are allowed to do whatever they want and cheer for whoever they want um it was a little, i was like god as if like i'm not already in a bad mood that i'm missing one of the biggest matches of my career and i'm injured they're trying to like they're trying to make my night even worse but it's okay because it's wwe and 
we're here for them. They can do whatever they want. They paid their tickets. Uh, I kind of just wanted to run in the back and cry in a little ball a little bit, but I didn't. I was totally strong and carried it off. I was like, whatever. Moving on, we got a chance to talk to Seamus and Cesaro, and I think, you know, if Nick was here, he'd tell you the same thing. These guys may have been the most entertaining duo, arguably, that we saw on the red carpet that night. It left you with the feeling that you wish they could get the microphone more on WWE these days and just be unscripted, unhinged, just let them go. Let's hear from the guys who are the bar, as they say. CBS Sports in this corner podcast with the WWE Raw Tag Team Champions. It's a good jacket, right? The pocket square. That's this is what it's all about. And he's going for a bit of a, he's going for a relaxed look with the V-neck. You know oh, what I'm saying? Is great. V-neck is in there now. Too. It's good, man. You know it's that they call me Handsome Nick on the podcast, so that's that's obviously you guys have picked up on that, which is really Ooh, great. Now, yeah. now I wouldn't have said Handsome. I said well dressed Nick. I'm well dressed Nick. I can I can go with as well. So I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this to you guys. When you guys got put together as a team, I think people were like, because we really like you guys as singles competitors, but you've won everybody over. And for me, I love your entrance. And take us through the creative process, because it sort of evolved, right, to how it's how you have it now, where with the blue light and you guys standing back to back like that, it is really, really cool. It's great. And the best thing about it is they kept my Tron. So you said great images of my Mohawk and of me just hitting awesome wrestler moves. Yeah, uh, do you want to know the other best part is we're still coming out to his music. You know, two-time tag champs, been teaming for about eight months, still have his Titan Tron and his music. Right. Everybody else, new music, new Titan Tron, new shirt, yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, Us, yeah. not so much. But so what happened is we first started with me interrupting his entrance, him interrupting my entrance, you know, like back SummerSlam a year ago almost when we started. And then it just kind of evolved. Like we, we never told anybody what we we're going to do. So uh, it eventually started with me just walking out and then his music hit and then uh, actually it was, he interrupted my entrance, right? So I was in the middle and he interrupted my entrance and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand right behind him and the camera is usually behind him and I just stand there and like the feedback was great. So we were like, we just go with that. And that's how uh, our character has evolved and our team has evolved since day one. We just like, look, we have so much fun around there. I don't know if you can tell, we're just having a good time. And that's what it is. We just were like, oh, this works. Let's keep doing that. And the entrance, absolutely love it. Um, we, we got to the point where it's just like this. In a nutshell, I've been here eight years, pretty much won everything. This man here, everything. six years. And I see title away from the Grand Slam. Uh, not just saying this, literally, technically, physically, the best in the WWE. Never been WWE World Heavyweight Champion. It's going to happen. It has to happen to be in my, my, the best guy never to win the title, but he is going to win the championship. It's just because there's no one more, he's got more perseverance than this guy. I'm not just saying that, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not saying he, he didn't pay me anything. But the thing is, like, we just got to a point where, you know, like, especially when you get into WWE, there's a lot of pressure on yourself. You know, first of all, especially for us who wanted to, to be superstars our entire life from kids, both come over from foreign countries, leaving our family behind. The point is, like, what I want to say is, like, we got to a point now where we just don't give a crap. We just want to go out there and have fun. We're not worried about the little things anymore. We're worried about entertaining ourselves, which in turn entertaining the crowd. And that's what we've been doing for the last year since we started at SummerSlam. If you go back and watch those matches, the best of seven, there's no one more physical than us. Like, you can watch the whole show. No one, I, I listen, I'll tell you right now, I love standing on the sideline and watching uppercut people. I literally crack up laughing because I know how painful those things hurt. And when we, we, we bring it every single time and it's been a lot of fun. It's with brotherhood now. And every time we're out there, we have to crack from our entrance to 
you know, showboating in the ring to just, because we know there's no one better than us. There's no one, no one can touch us. Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, they're not even on our level. They're great, don't get me wrong, they're amazingly talented superstars. But when they get in there with us, they don't stand a bleeding chance. That's why you see us laughing all the time when we're kicking the crap out of them. We yeah. take our time because we enjoy it. Here's my question. Did you think when you asked this very basic question that Seamus would go on for five minutes uh, a yeah. you, you, you guys are great, so I think you guys are the bar, right? Um, also on the entrance, I love yeah. the what you guys do the with the fist, with the thumb out. That's very like Street Fighter-esque, I think. Like you win a Street Fighter match and that's the pose. What was the inspiration behind that? How'd you guys come up with that pose? Uh, well, uh, so we used to do... You know, we had like a meet and greet and we always put the thumb up and like Seamus was a very, um, I'm not going to name names here, he was kind of like, you know. Name you names, go ahead. No, I was no, like, no. this is too much like Donald Trump, we need to change this. <laughs> and then we went, boom. Okay, we can't do this anymore. You know Trump, what? Trump ruined the thumbs up, so we're like, then we just turned it to this. <laughs> we are the bar. Uh, by the way, Adam, Seamus and Cesaro ended up going on for like another five, ten minutes. It felt like just talking about Game of Thrones there that we that we didn't that we edited it out. I mean, I'm not I'm not a Game of Thrones guy. I'm not sure what was a spoiler, what wasn't. But those guys are some passionate guys right there. I mean. Yeah, as the one who's doing the editing for that for this, at least I uh, I got to hear some of that. And let's just say Cesaro's theories are pretty, pretty interesting. I will say this. Uh he might be a little bit of a closet geek, dork, whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm not, I don't really mean to say that to a guy who could certainly kick my ass six ways from Sunday. But I think there's a little bit of that in him, and I found that pretty interesting. But, no, it was a great interview all around. They got a good, nice little shtick there back and forth. But next, we have the monster among men, Braun Strowman. And you got to love the question that, that the Costos asked him right off the top. All right, Braun, first questions first. Before we get into SummerSlam, I need to know, how many beers can you drink in one sitting? Oh man, it depends on the given day and what I've had to eat that day. I, I can put a, I can put a few away. We'll just leave it at that. Now, are we talking double digit? Because he's got the Andre the Giant shirt here. We know Andre can put them away. I have a feeling you might be able to challenge Andre though. I've put a few double digit nights away before. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about going up and down the road, you got to have a partner that that won't make you angry, won't piss you off. Who's your go-to guy on the road trip? Uh, it's Bray Wyatt, without a doubt. Since day one, Bray's been my riding partner. We were split up for a little bit in that time. I uh, I rode by myself, and now we're back on the same Raw brand, representing WWE and the Red brand, so we're tearing the roads up again, once again. All right, now, now, you and Bray are both pretty imposing guys with the big beers. When you guys, like, walk into, let's say, like, a CVS or, like, a 7-Eleven, what kind of looks do you guys get from regular people? Uh, it, 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 it always happened. I mean, it doesn't matter where we go. Like, when I walk into a room, just like I did tonight here for the 2K event, everyone looks at me. I turn heads, I mean, and look at me. Why can't I? How often are you recognized when you go out, like it's a 7-Eleven, et cetera? Now more and more, especially in uh, New York City. Everywhere I've gone, someone's recognized me for something. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to say I believe Braun Strowman when he says I put a few double-digit nights away before when it comes to drinking beer. I'm going to believe a guy who's 6'8", 385. I mean, do you think this guy could drink a whole case sitting down? Well, I know I can drink double digits and have in college. So my question is, is it double digits or a couple dozen beers? That's what I want to know about Braun Strowman. Uh, that was fantastic. I think, you know, we interviewed him on this podcast as well in a longer length interview. You guys can look at that in the archives or listen to it in the archives. He's a fantastic interview. And you want to talk about someone who can get a mic in their face? Like you said about, uh, you know, Seamus and Cesaro. Give it to Braun Strowman. Real name, by the way, Adam. Great first name. Oh, there you go. Putting yourself over, putting over your old school drinking ability at the University of Florida. Let's edit that out in the, in the aftermath. Nick, Nick would not stand for this. Nick would, would not let you put yourself over there. But that was uh, that was the monster among men now in a, an incredibly entertaining trio. The New Day, these guys, again, could have gone for another 15 to 20 minutes, and it just makes you wish we just could go back. 
back. I mean, do you remember you remember the draft in 2016? That that post show afterwards where they just they did shoot interviews, just let people go like back in the day. You remember talking smack that they just canceled? We want more of this. You're gonna love what we hear from the powers of positivity. We talk for a living, right? So we can appreciate how difficult it is to get stuff over. That being said, you guys have like 10 catchphrases that are yeah. so super over. What's the process for you guys? You can be bashful, Xavier. You know it's true. I'm blessed. What's the process that goes to that? Is it like you guys are just shooting shooting the breeze and, the, oh, that's funny. Let's do it. Do you think about it? How does that go? Uh, honestly, we just say things that are funny to us. Yeah. And then if they happen to be funny to other people, we keep saying them. Yes. To hopefully get a t-shirt out of it. <laughs> can you give us an example, a story that you have about that, how one of these came to fruition? Yeah, I'll tell you one. Uh, we were driving through a drive-thru in um, Alabama. I, no, no, Mississippi, excuse me. Uh, down in the South Mississippi, New Orleans area. And uh, we were trying to order some food. And uh, only it was apparently the late night menu that was only uh, available. So we wanted to order some, uh, some, some breakfast. And the lady was like, uh, oh, no. Oh, it's all about the late night yeah. menu. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. oh no, we took that, and now you have all the arenas all over the world. And that lady will never know no. that she was the catalyst behind one of our no. catchphrases. Ah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, thought, I thought you were going with compliments to the chef. <laughs> can, can, can you tell us that story? That's Kofi again. Yeah, we haven't said it. So Kofi does a bunch of uh, impersonations. He can do the different accents and stuff. Uh, and so he would he'll do an accent at the drive-through, and then when we get to the actual window, he'll sound like someone else. And the person always always like, okay, but uh, was it like Taco Bell? Yeah, it was Something Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he gets the food, he takes a bite, and he's talking about how you got you got a. Uh, well, I don't even remember what I said, but I took a bite out of it and said, uh, Taco Bell done done it again. Compliments to the chef. Boo, boo, boo. And then he peeled out. <laughs> it was like. It was like what is yeah, happening? Because yeah. <laughs> he's so much. We gotta keep ourselves yeah. entertained. You, you know what I mean? You gotta find a way. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that sounded like that's like the Samson voice from Half Mates. Like down by the yeah. beach, right? Yeah. Wait, ready? Right? Down by the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Same deal. A ride near the beach. Now, Biggie, my heart got broken the day that Langston got dropped. Can you tell me, take me back to that conversation? Because I'm not over it, bro. Oh, it's very simple. Uh, I showed up to work one day. This is a pretty new day. I showed up to work, and I think uh, it was a Cody from social media at the time, still worked here. And he told me, so you know, uh, we got to change your Twitter name. And I was like, uh, why? Because you're just Big E now. Uh, I was like, there's no Langston? He's like, no, uh, Langston is dead. Uh, Vince wanted something that commanded more power. So Vince thought Big E Langston, not powerful. Big E evoked power. That's, that's as simple as that. There was no there was no back and forth. There was no, well, what do you think, Vince? It was, I showed up, and now I'm Big E. All right, you remember that scene in Rudy when they challenged the coach to get Rudy to play in the game? If the three of you down, if yeah. the three of you had challenged Vince, we could still be Langston right now. Come on, guys. Right. Is, is it worth it, though? No. Does yeah. Langston mean that much to you, honestly? Well, in, 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 all, in all fairness, honestly. too, uh, Big E has gotten infinitely stronger. I believe yeah. the day that you uh, dropped Yeah, as Langston, soon as I dropped it, I put 100 pounds on my bench. Yes. Uh, my squat went up by 150, so I guess he had a point. You know? he had a point. I think you're, just, you're used to seeing him like this before when he was Langston. He was like what, two fifteen? Yeah, two fifteen. Yes, two hundred fifteen pounds. Damn near cruiserweight. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. You don't remember that. You don't remember, yeah. but you go back and look at the tapes, you'll see it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that's, yeah. that's how much Big E means in your mind. That's how much strength it commands. Yeah. <laughs> Who's up? Who's the funniest of the three of you? Not, not oh, Rang, When you guys. Hold up. No, 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 no. I was going to whip it around. Oh, you're going to whip it around. To, 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 to be fair, Xavier pointed to you immediately when the question was asked. Okay, because we have a process. You have to let this process play out. Like, when we first debuted, people were booing us because they weren't waiting for the process. 
process. When the process plays out, we go we go here and we whip it around. Because if one is funny, all three are funny. That's it. You're trying to you know asking that kind of question. Asking that kind of question. You know what we call people like you? We call you wedge drivers. Trying to drive a wedge between us. Oh, who's the funniest? Who's the smartest? That's you. That's you. You see a crack in this foundation? No crack. Drive a wedge in this foundation. You can't do it. Who's who's the best looking of the three of you? You out here still trying to drive still away? Still trying to drive away. You told you about that. Xavier, who's the best at video games? Whose man is this? Whose man is this? Tell him. Oh, man, Adam. I, you want to hear me pop in real time when we almost got Kofi to say, all right, near the beach. We almost got him to say that. Love the just the, the back and forth. I mean, those guys work so well together. Just you just roll out the balls, and we saw that a lot in 2016 when they just owned so many raw segments because of that, where you felt like you knew the writing was bad, but they somehow made it work. Well, now we're going to talk to a man who at that time was NXT champion Bobby Roode. He was one night before stepping into that ring in Brooklyn at the NXT TakeOver show against Drew McIntyre. Let's hear what Bobby Roode has to say. As someone who has difficulty growing like a perfect beard, how do you always have it at that perfect, dare I say, glorious length, because it really is a sight to behold. Well, you know, it's uh, it's a family secret, if I, you know, to be honest with you, and uh, I don't really, I, I swore, uh, you know, on our family uh, family Bible. The House so, Rude. The house, house of Rude that uh, this kind of stays low-key. Bobby, there's always a feeling that Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, has an intimidating presence. What's it like the first time you meet him? Tell him that story. Uh, well, you know, he is uh, very intimidating. Of course, he's uh, he's the guy that built this built this place and runs the ship. So, um, but uh, you know, you just kind of got to be yourself and kind of, you know, be polite and introduce yourself and shake his hand. And he's a businessman. You just got to be a businessman back. And, and uh, you know, it was cool. First time I met him was real cool. So when you said you were polite when you first met him, now obviously you've got some time under your belt here. You have a belt, the belt on your shoulder for NXT. What's the relationship with him like now? Polite, still polite. Of course, but like no, no horseplay, no joking around, no nothing. You keep that to a minimum. We're not around enough uh, to. Uh, we're not around enough, or each other enough to, to even you know start that. So you know we um we had Triple H. Brian interviewed Triple H for our, our podcast in this corner CBS earlier this weekend. He said that NXT is the biggest competitor for Raw and SmackDown and really puts you guys over. Is that something that you feel like here that you guys are so good that you push the red and blue brands to be better? Absolutely, and that's the goal every night. You know, uh, takeover tomorrow night is is our goal is is to push the main roster, the the Raw and the SmackDown roster, the, the night after at SummerSlam to to go out there and, and and try to beat what we do. You know, we're going to raise up our tomorrow night. That's what we do. You know, uh, every takeover that we go and do uh, always raises up our. And I, I truly believe that. Uh, you know, NXT is the hottest brand under the WWE umbrella right now. Bobby, you're so recognizable because of this glorious theme song. Do you have a go-to story of being in public and someone surprises you by bellowing out a chorus of it? Um, there's many. I mean, uh, walking down the street uh, today in Brooklyn, uh, going to grab a bite to eat, people started singing it. Um, going to the mall and just walking by a store and a... Uh, and uh, I think it was like a... It was a Canadian mall, of course, because I'm Canadian, so it was called uh, Best Buy. Uh, walking down in the mall is like a little Best Buy store and all of a sudden my music starts to play and yeah, I mean, it's uh, the music has taken off. It's been great. Many thanks to Bobby Roode right there, who I want a little bit more, Bobby Roode, about meeting Vince for the first time. He played it off like way too cool. There's no way that Bobby Roode, even with the with the glorious beard and the robe and the song, can just walk in and shake Vince McMahon's hand and not feel a little bit like you're at the principal's office or something. Come on, man. 
I mean, come on. Yeah, he, you know, and he was kind of cool, like a cool customer, not too big for the room, but like it was very similar at WrestleMania. He's just confident dude. He's happy to answer your questions, but he's not going to give you too much extra. Absolutely. Kurt Angle was one we wanted to go out of our way to flag down on the red carpet, bring him in there, because we, of course, have done some time in the pay-per-view rewind uh, machine on this podcast, talking about that great 2001 match, Kurt Angle and Steve Austin. Nick asked him about that. Let's throw right to it. Kurt, we do a segment on our podcast called Pay-Per-View Rewind, where we go back and our listeners do it. We all watch one match per week, and then we discuss it the next week. And I chose for my first pick. It's my, what I think is the most underrated match in wrestling history. You against Steve Austin, SummerSlam 2001, one of the most physical matches of all time that no one really talks about. Our listeners loved it. We loved it. Is that a match that stands out for you when you look back at your career? Well, not for me personally, and it's because I was relatively new. Uh, Steve carried me with that whole match. Uh, that wasn't Kurt Angle versus Steve Austin. That was Steve Austin versus Steve Austin. Uh, he was that good. Um, everybody, people don't know how good he was. Uh, they, they remember his character, you know, Stone Cold, the beer drinker, uh, flipping off his boss. But in ring, in the ring, he was, uh, he was the best ring general I've ever been. Him and Triple H and Undertaker are the three best in ring generals I've ever been in the ring with. Uh, the reason I don't think people talk about it is because I don't think that match had a finish. Correct. And that, 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 there, that there are a couple, there are a couple referee bumps at the end. Austin yeah. gives, and then and you you get put a referee in the ankle lock at the yeah. end. But like I said, for me, it didn't ruin the match at all because right. I thought it was incredible. Yeah, Steve was the best. I I I really don't think he gets enough credit for how good he was. Uh, I don't think he ever will because his character oversees, you know, anything that he could do in the ring. People wanted to see him drink beer. They, you know, they, they didn't want to see him wrestle. And he was really that good. And, uh, you know, like I said before, he carried my ass right through that match every second. Uh, the quote that stands out the most out of this from Kurt Angle is, Steve carried me that whole match. Being there in front of Kurt, asking him those questions, it's like he was, like, reluctant to put over how good that match was because, obviously, he's his harshest critic, and he looks back at that match, and all he remembers is not being up to par for that moment. Well, hey, Kurt. You had it that night. You still got it now, and I think you had it that night. Well, I think it's funny, too, that their analysis of those matches is the same as ours. He basically said, well, didn't that end with a crap finish? And when we did pay-per-view rewind, we're like, well, that match was like a five-star match, except it ended in a crap finish. It ruined what was otherwise a perfect match. I was really interested to hear him say that Steve carried him the whole way. I mean, I know Steve Austin's a good wrestler, obviously, but that still surprised me, even back then at the early part of his career. Nick Costos, a regular on this show, regularly shares his feelings and love for Alexa Bliss. And when he got a chance to talk to her, I just stepped out of the way and let the Costos take over. Let's hear the Nick talk about the crush here with Alexa Bliss. What has it been like to be champion, to carry this belt around, to kind of, you know, put your shoulders back and, and live this life? It's been amazing. Uh, I've had such an amazing year with WWE. WWE has given me so many opportunities. I'm so grateful for that. You know, I was SmackDown Women's Champion twice, Raw Women's Champion, the first to hold both. And I never expected that to really happen. And, you know, being in NXT and being called up to SmackDown, I wasn't sure if I was really prepared enough because, you know, I didn't, I didn't hold the title in NXT. I didn't have a takeover match. But, you know, been given the opportunities that I have been with WWE. Very grateful. And it has just been an amazing ride. And I'm loving every minute of it. We talk 
talk about you a lot on our podcast, In This Corner, CBS Sports. And what I always say is, in addition to the in-ring stuff, the thing that really impresses me the most about you, you have the most unbelievable facial expressions. Like, <laughs> like, like when you come out and you do like the little, like, you have that look on your face as if you want to be bothered with nothing that these people in the crowd have to give you. Is that something you practice? Is that something that comes naturally to you? Because I have said that if Alexa Bliss were not a wrestler, she could be like an Academy Award winning actress. <laughs> well, apparently my mom said I've been doing it since the day I was born. I don't know. Like, whenever she would say things to me, like tell me to clean my room or something, I guess I would like glare at her and then she put me in my place. But um, I don't know. That was good. That was good. <laughs> I don't even notice I'm doing it. That's so bad. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, I've never really known that I was very expressive facially, I guess, um, until people started talking about it. And then I would watch, uh, when I was managing Blake and Murphy, I used to watch the footage back and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I make the weirdest faces. But it's got me this far, I guess. <laughs> we hear sometimes that the best characters are often an extension of someone's real personality. Is that the case with you? No. I wish it was, because I feel like I'd be sassy all the time, be like five feet of fury all the time. Heck yeah. No, um... Whenever I, you know, go out into the ring as Alexa Bliss, it's it's more of, I love to act. I love to portray characters. I love to go think outside the box and push the limits. And I think that this character has really helped me be able to do that because my first character in NXT with the glitter and the tutu and the just smile, that would be me turned up to like 100. But, you know, I really, I really love doing what I do in the ring and portraying the character that I do and it's so much fun. Is it tough for you to get into that mode if that's not really who you are when you go out there? Is that a mindset that you get into? How does how does that process come together? Because you're very talented at it. Oh, thank you. It is a process. So if you ever see me backstage, I'm constantly pacing and then people will say that I like do this weird thing where I'm like pacing and then all of a sudden I start to look angry and angrier and angrier and then I just like just start talking to myself like going over whatever lines I'm going to say and like you can just tell when it's happening and I just I just pace it out I guess. <laughs> well we know we're big fans of Nia Jax on our CBS podcast we know that there's a BFF relationship going on we know she's not like most girls tell us a good road story from the two of you on, you know on the road away from the ring. Oh my gosh, we have so many. Um, <laughs> well, one of our road stories, uh, I was I was opening up a packet of Crystal Light, you know, the little packets, and I opened it with my teeth and it ended up getting like all over my face. And she was like, girl, you got stuff on your face. And she started doing like the mom thing where you like go, eh, and like lick it off. And as she was doing that, a car drives by and goes, hi girls. And she goes, what up? It was, it was Triple H. And we were so embarrassed. I was like, she just saw him like mom licking stuff off my face. And she's like, what up? And then she goes, oh, like, it was so embarrassing, but it's so funny. One of the best moments we've seen on WWE TV this year, Bailey comes out to the ring first and goes over to a kid in the crowd and gives the kid a hug. You come out right afterwards, find the kid. I forget what you walked right up to the kid. You basically like brush the kid off. Now, was, you know, that's something you come up with spur of the moment, right? Is as you're doing it, are you like, wow, that was brilliant. Like, when does it hit you? Like, that was awesome. People really like that. Because we're watching it at home. Like, that was absolutely awesome. Uh, well, backstage, we can see what happens. So as soon as I saw her go up to the kid, I was like, oh, I'm messing with that kid. <laughs> but it was just fun. It's all fun. Adam, I want to throw to our final interview here. Finn Balor, it may have been the best one overall. Finn really opened up, really gave us some real inside baseball details of what it's like to transition from Finn the wrestler to the demon. You know, I love the Fonzie look at him, but I know we want to hear what he has to say about the demon. You certainly have one of the most epic entrances in all of WWE with the with the paint that you bring out for the big events. Describe to us the process. How long does it take to get into that? Uh, can take anything like for 
in the time-wise, the physical process of applying the paint can take up to three hours, sometimes four. It really just depends on, uh, you know, how soon I get to the building, if I've warmed up on time, what match number I am. But it's more of like a mental preparation, and that will probably start pretty much as soon as we get done here at this 2K event. Uh, I'll be going home and I'll be getting focused, and it'll probably start like late tonight. There won't be much sleeping uh, done tonight or tomorrow night. I'll be getting ready for SummerSlam and kind of having to channel my inner demon. What's a perfect balance for you in how often you present that side of your character? Uh, well, you know, it's very taxing on the, not only your physical state, but your mental state. And uh, it's something that I don't like to tap into too often or rely on too often because, honestly, I don't need it. I've been traveling the world for 18 years, kicking ass by myself without the demon. Uh, sometimes I like to do it, you know, if I need to make a statement. But uh, most other days, you know, I'm quite uh, content to use, you know, the skills that I've honed all over the world to, uh, to to tap people out or pin them one, two, three. Here's what's so fascinating about that, like, because you are a star. I'm not blowing smoke. You are, right? So when you talk about that process of mentally taxing when you go from Finn Balor to the demon. What goes through your mind when you said when you go under that transformation? Like, what are you thinking about? How does that process unfold? Like, that's something that interests me, and I'm sure all our listeners as well. Yeah, um, it, it's almost like I turn into a different person. I know that might sound corny or a cliche or whatever, but uh, I can kind of tap into, like, a darker side of my personality and kind of almost, like, remember all the times people picked on me or bullied me in school or, you know, told me I couldn't do stuff. And I almost, like, bring that all to the front. You know, as an Irish person, you know, we're very good at burying our feelings, our <laughs> true feelings, deep, deep down in our core, you know, and never letting emotion show. And really, uh, you know, when I enter that demon mode, I'm just letting go of all that pent-up aggression and frustration and the amount of times people told me I couldn't do something. And, you know, it's me saying, I'm going to show you, fellas. Is it scary at all when you're in that mode and you're not in the ring, when you're just the human being and you're sitting in your hotel room or whatnot and you're getting into that character and you're like, whoa, like this is like some, this is some deep stuff. It, it, it's honestly uh, nerve-wracking, you know, because... Uh, I, I almost worry about going into it a little bit because I'm, I'm worried, can I get to the level that I was at the last time? Can I continue to tap into this? And I know people are probably listening to this interview going, what's he talking about? She just puts on paint. But like, if you want to step in the room with me when I'm in the demon mode, you're more than welcome. I dare you. Does that give you a bigger rush than anything else that you do when you're in that mode at the height of your powers, let's say? Is that the biggest thrill that you get as a performer? without a shadow of a doubt yeah and i can completely let go i'm completely free and uh, that is when i'm completely emotionally invested in what i'm doing in the ring Finn, who's the best wrestler in the world not in wwe right now that was you for a while who is it now oh such a difficult question so many great guys out there but uh maybe i'm a little bit biased but i'm gonna say zach saber jr what makes him so great in your eyes uh experience uh confidence and ability to adapt to different environments did you get a chance to watch any of this year's g1 absolutely not uh, believe it or not wwe like to work us seven days a week yeah. very difficult uh schedule uh, very hard to keep up with anything that's going on uh, anywhere else and you know obviously i look back on my time in new japan very fondly but you're awesome yeah. Well, thank you, but, uh, last, but last, uh, yeah, I look back on my time in New Japan very fondly, but that was my past, this is my present and my future, and, uh, you know, obviously uh, I'm very happy for the guys what they're doing in New Japan, but right now I'm only focused on WWE. 
Wow. I, I could sit there and listen to Finn Balor break down the specifics about getting the makeup put on, about getting into the mindset of that role. You heard in the past, if, you, if you're a big movie buff, if you follow interviews with actors, they talk about you know how they channel the characters. There's some of that in here uh, with Finn Balor, right? This was like next level stuff he's breaking down. Yeah, it was impressive to hear from him and how mentally he goes through the whole preparation, not just physically, um, and actually that there are some kind of you know, things from his childhood past that he's bringing in to this character when he gets into the state. Unlike you, I don't love the Fonzie gimmick, which is basically what it is, let's be honest. This is the Finn Balor I like. If I'm not going to get heel Finn Balor, leader of the Bullet Club or a similar faction in WWE, then I want the demon Finn Balor in big moments and big matches fighting for titles. Interesting about that, though, was how quickly he kind of wanted to move on from the Bullet Club. And I get at a WWE event, he's not going to sit there and rehash stories about, you know, going up and down the road. But at the same time, he sort of stood firm and said, look, like, that's behind me. You can love it all you want, right? That's behind me. I'm kind of doing much bigger and better things right now. Let's focus on that. Do you sort of agree with that mindset if you're in his shoes right there? Because I kind of wanted to hear about the Bullet Club. I got to be honest. I don't think that's unfair. And I don't care what event. I think if you were interviewing him one-on-one for 30 minutes on this podcast, he probably would have said the same thing. The Bullet Club is great and it's nice, and I know Nick loves it, and we love it. We all love it, and they're great. Um, but like, there is something to be said for it being in kind of New Japan and Ring of Honor and something else happening in WWE where you have a guy who's been there a couple of years. He's been a two-time NXT champion. He's been the WWE Universal Champion, the first one. I mean, he has moved on and progressed and passed them, and that's nothing against them, but it speaks to where he's at in his career, and I think it's okay for him to be confident and say that. I just love when he breaks down and tells you that he has to sit there and reimagine and, re, you know, re go through the motion in his mind of getting bullying, of getting bullied to become that dark force. I mean, that's just incredible stuff. Great talking to Finn Balor. Great talking to everybody on the red carpet. 2K18 launch party. Special thanks again to the 2K folks in WWE for making that happen. Let's get on to pay-per-view rewind. Adam, you know the theme song. You love the theme song. Let's hit it. <laughs> Adam, I love the uh, viewer's choice week. You know, we do this in four-week blocks. The three of us hosts get our own choice. Fourth week is it's a wild card. It's viewer's choice. It's listener's choice. They send in the request. We pick the most interesting one. This one, this week comes from Michael Cunningham at PSK102. He chose 1997 Halloween Havoc, Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio Jr. in a title versus mask match for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Since it was viewer's choice, let's hear from Michael Cunningham about why he picked this bout. I love this match for a number of reasons. Uh, there's the obvious two incredible talents like Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero uh, just entering their primes. Uh, it was a match that just it, it told a great story above and beyond everything else. Uh, above and beyond the great spots, the great maneuvers, Rey Mysterio did some things in this match that at the time uh, I had never seen before and left me in awe, especially the uh, springboard backflip DDT that he pulled off uh, that stuck with me even to this day. And beyond that, it just, the match never... Uh, went away from the story. And it was the story of these two characters. You had Eddie Guerrero, this anti 
Lucha villain, this guy who had turned his back on Lucha Libre wrestling and the mask and the tradition. You had Rey Mysterio, the ultimate underdog, this undersized performer who just left audiences in awe all the time. And they never... Uh, they never lost sight of the story of the mask and Eddie constantly trying to rip the mask off, uh, the psychological warfare that that was. It just it stuck with me even to this day. And an underrated part of this match that, you know, going back that I like to listen to is the commentary. Um, Mike Tanay, Bobby the Brain Heenan, those guys were just great. Um, and this is one of the matches that turned me into a lifelong fan and still resonates with me to this day. Love to hear from the listeners. So thanks so much for Michael Cunningham for sending in that audio. This match, 1997, right in the heat of the growing Attitude Era and the growing Monday Night Wars, came at the 97 Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. Our reaction to this match, Adam, I want to kick it off and just say this. Holy crap, in this sense, these guys were such innovators athletically. We obviously know that now, right? But you appreciate it, or at least I do, so much more when you go back. Because when this match happened in 1997, the wrestling world wasn't, the mainstream United States wrestling world clearly wasn't ready for this style. Look at the crowd during this match, by the way, during the big moments. People basically sitting on their hands. There's no cell phones yet. I mean, there's some cell phones, but not smartphones yet for people to look at. Most people are kind of looking around the arena talking, missing these great moves. When I would watch a match like this on Nitro or on a pay-per-view back then, I would think words like fun, different, exciting. Now when you go back and you watch these two, I'm thinking legends, pioneers. This is insanely good wrestling for mainstream wrestling in 1997. And to see Mysterio at just 22, and obviously he was amazing at like 17, 18, 19. And to see Eddie walk to the ring with that much damn swagger. I mean, you can see so much of who Sasha Banks is today and why she's influenced by him simply by watching Eddie walk to the ring for this match. What's your initial reaction to seeing these two trade these kind of moves with each other? That's such a true statement about Sasha Banks and Eddie. Like, it's blatantly obvious. And the, some of the hair, too. Like, the hair is kind of similar, long, kind of, you know, it, it's there. Um, initial reaction, well, I'll tell you this. I turned on the pay-per-view. I saw what the main event was. I said, oh. Uh, I saw what the match leading into this was. I said, oh. Well, by the main like, event, you mean Hogan Piper in a steel cage. That's what you mean. Right. In, in 1997 at Halloween Havoc, by the way. By the way, I, I popped for the build of that. By the way, okay, WCW pay-per-views <laughs> during the stretch never paid off, especially no. the main events. But the builds always got me. I did pick. I did pop for this build. You better believe I did. I watched <laughs> wrestling since 1984. Of course I popped for this match build, yes. No, for, I mean, that's totally true. But, like, I, I just saw, like, the lead-in and all that stuff, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so bad. And then what do I see? Uh, you know, one of the best short matches that I've ever seen. This was not a long match. 13 minutes. The, yeah, and it's the same that WWE does now. You know, with their undercard cruiserweight matches, they're mostly not long. They're high-paced action. But guess what? This, 20 years ago, blew what WWE is doing with cruiserweight wrestling right now completely out of the water. And there's a good reason for it because it was Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio Jr. watching the match. You know, we've, wa we've watched a lot of Eddie Guerrero recently on Pay-Per-View Rewind and just – for me watching WWE Network and the initial reaction for me, I miss Eddie Guerrero. Like oh, that's just, God. that's just the truth. Talk about a guy that I need to do a better job of going back. Certainly, I watched the biggest moments of his career for the most part. I had a couple off stretches when he was, you know, really big. But that's a guy that I need to go back and just sort of like watch the builds again for these these important matches because he was such a great heel during this match. For example, trying to constantly rip off the mask 
of Mysterio, which is obviously so disrespectful to the Luchador code, which is such a better heel action when it's coming from a Mexican wrestler against another Mexican wrestler. Like, it was absolutely perfect. He's tearing the mask and stretching it up to the point where you can almost see Ray's face through that. And to see Mike Tanay, who they added to the three-man booth of Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes for this match, they would do that a lot for the Cruiserweight matches because he'd be the guy who would explain it all, tell you the backgrounds and everything, almost like a almost like a more Ronaldo in a sense, just not as excitable back then. But he said, in many cases, losing one's mask can be career-ending. And they really put that over to teasing that it could happen here and teasing why how important it is. Obviously, you'll remember this match because of the big spots. When the, the first move that made me go, oh crap, in this match was that springboard moonsault tornado DDT from Mysterio where you're like, I'm not even sure I've seen that move now. <laughs> Forget 97, yeah. right? Shortly after that, Ray does a somersault flip over the top rope but doesn't just land on him like a lot of guys are doing on 205 Live now. Somehow turns that into a flying head scissors. That's absurd. <laughs> the crowd, again, had no idea what they were watching. Totally just like something that just jumps off the screen now. Meltzer gives this match a rating of 4.75 stars. I think that's appropriate for 1997. It's certainly appropriate for the quality of the other matches on this card of what you're seeing back then. I don't think, though, Adam, that that rating holds up today in the end. This was only a 13-minute match, and what it did not have had great spots, had great legends, did not have a next-level finish. It was early in the card. It didn't have any kind of extras onto the finish that would push the storyline further. In the end, Mysterio goes over. I just can't give it 4.75 today. I understand that for 1997, but 20 years later, it ages a bit. I give this a solid four-star match and respect the story that they were telling, respect how the announcers put it over, and respect five or six or seven amazing spots in this. Yeah, you know, I, I'm with you, but for a couple different reasons. Um, I thought the finish, no, was the finish exciting? No, but it wasn't exciting because the crowd was terrible. And yes, we don't really grade matches on crowd reaction, but if we're going to give an extra quarter point for the Canadian Stampede crowd, we got to deduct a quarter point. For this crowd, there was a top rope hurricanrana into a roll-up pinfall. And you want to talk about not seeing things? Like, I'm sure that does happen, and I've seen it. I can't remember seeing it. And even if I have seen it, I can't remember it being as spectacular as it was with these two guys doing it. It looked effortless. So I liked the finish, but no, it wasn't exciting and spectacular. So for me, it's probably a 4.25 overall. So I'm, I'm in the same vein as you. Meltzer grades just on match quality and, like, storytelling and some of that stuff. So his is a different grade, and it was also done 20 years ago. We're watching it now. For me, it's 4.25. But I want to point out before we get off pay-per-view rewind, three things that I noticed that about <laughs> the, the card right before and right after the match that I have to talk about. First of all, Rey Mysterio's ring attire was fantastic. He, it was basically a purple, purple like Riddler costume with a mask, and it was perfect for Halloween Havoc. It was cool. If you didn't watch this yet, by the way, you guys are supposed to watch this so you understand what we're talking about. But if you haven't, make sure you watch it. Number two, the ring posts were all cushioned Slim Jims. So, like, the <laughs> ring posts were sponsored. Uh, that was hysterical. And the best part for me, at the end, after the match is over, they throw to Mean Gene. He apologizes to Tony Schiavone for suggesting that he throws some hard eights at the craps table and he puts bets down on the 44. You always go hard six, Mean Gene. You know that, the Patrick Ewing number. So I loved that part. I loved the stuff surrounding the match. The match itself was very good. 
Special thanks again to Michael Cunningham, a strong viewer's choice. Because, look, we love this pay-per-view rewind segment because a lot of times it educates. And if you were somebody that was a part-timer during this stretch, maybe you were an Attitude Era fan, but you only watched WWE, the only thing you knew about the WCW run here was the NWO and Hogan and all that, this stuff, this type of match was the gold on the card, like without question. If Nick Costas was here, he would be going sick about this. So special thanks again for this one. Next week is... TBC, the B-Camp's choice. And guys, I got a good one for you. And once again, it's a non-traditional one, but I want to take you back to this date. December 11th, 2014. Recent history here on the Pay-Per-View Rewind for an NXT TakeOver card called R Evolution from the Full Sail University Arena. The match in question here is the main event for the NXT Championship. The champion, Adrian Neville. Yes, Adrian Neville against Sami Zayn back when Sami Zayn was a top elite guy pushed as a top elite guy not a jobber to the stars this is a title versus career match if Sami Zayn loses he will be out of NXT and out of wrestling for good and that's build is handled well because Sami Zayn's really been pushed as a guy who's maybe too nice at this point well now his career's on the line against his former friend Adrian Neville not his former friend where they've turned evil on each other like him and Kevin Owens but a former friend situation why do I bring up Kevin Owens why is this going full circle from how we started this show today with Kevin Owens once again pushed as an evil psychopath in the Vince McMahon situation on Smackdown Live this match that I'm giving you has a little bit of homework I want you to watch Zayn Neville in the main event of NXT here but I want you to let the broadcast go all the way to the end right all the way until it goes off the air I also want you to watch the opening match on this card because this card was the first match for Kevin Owens in WWE he opens the match in a squash match against CJ Parker the story will be told much better if you watch that match and then watch the main event and watch it all the way through to the end. And also, this is also Corey Graves' first NXT card as an announcer, which is you know fantastic. You can get a good sense of that early. Great card, great match. The ending is amazing, and it really takes you back to that time when Kevin Owens was allowed to be Kevin Owens. Looking forward to talk about that next week. Adam, we always close by touching that thing, right? We always put our hands right in the middle of it. Right in the field spot this week, we got a lot to choose from because we didn't hit all the big ones today because we had a busy show. And my field spot this week was on Raw, which was great. And it was a segment at the end that I thought was going to be awful. In fact, the Costos texted me and goes, oh, uh, this guy Enzo showing up on 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 the Miz's show. I'm going to go to sleep now or I'm, I'm going to turn it back to Monday Night Football now because <laughs> this is going to be awful. No, it was awesome. The promo battle between The Miz and Enzo Amore on Miz TV with The Miz announcing Maurice is going to have a child, Enzo crashing the party. It was Cena Reigns Jr., right? Like, light. It was awesome. It was a shoot. It was real. It was them putting each other in their place. Enzo calling out The Miz for being unoriginal and stealing people's moves. Miz basically calling about Enzo for getting thrown out of the locker room and not being a good teammate. Holy cow. And then it spins off into a match. And normally that's a bad situation. This was great. During the match, they're talking trash to each other on the microphone. And it leads directly to the finish. And you know what I exited feeling here? Talk about a two-week turnaround for Enzo in the mind of the Brian Campbell. I came out of there going, Enzo's doing a pretty good job in this Neville feud for the Cruiserweight belt. I kind of want to see Enzo contend for the IC belt now, Adam. Because he was up to the Miz's level on the microphone. And they made the match... 
clunky and unique enough using the microphones to make it seem like he could hang with the Miz, at least on the mic, but also a little bit in the ring. They told an interesting story. I can't believe I'm all back in on Enzo, and I can't believe how good that segment was. Right in the field spot. Yeah, uh, that, that was great. I'm glad you mentioned it because I certainly wasn't going to, not because it wasn't good, but, I mean, you know, I have other ones. Uh, minor, I actually have two. They kind of fit together, so I'll go through them quick. The first, I, I think it's being overlooked right now, but Jason Jordan's being pushed like John Cena was when he first came into WWE, and he didn't get the one big win over the Kurt Angle, you know, that, that John Cena did. But every, he's hanging and fighting every major superstar. Obviously, they're doing this as some type of favoritism angle with Kurt Angle, you know, giving him, his son these opportunities that he's failing, but he's coming really close. Uh, but they're also not going to be able to put this kid over John Cena or Roman Reigns with a match between them upcoming. But they're really pushing him. He's great in the ring. We haven't really seen the mic work yet. I, I'm assuming, I assume they're grooming him for it, and they're going to lead up to it. But I really like what I'm seeing from Jason Jordan. And that fisherman suplex rolled Oof. into another fisherman suplex is probably the best move in WWE right now. The second part of it for me was you have Benjamin and Gable over on the blue brand on SmackDown. And I don't really care much about this tag team, to be honest. I just wish American Alpha was still together as much as I love Jordan as a singles competitor. But they booked a botch into this match, and this is a real feel spot, because they're trying to show that these two guys are still getting their bearings together as a tag team, and that was with their finishing maneuver. So little things like that make a huge difference when you're telling a story, whether they use that to show that they're not on the same page and it's a tag team that's not going to last, or that they eventually just slowly but surely pick it up and get together and get better and stronger and start beating really good teams, and maybe they wind up facing the winner of this Usos New Day feud that sh should come to a head at Hell in a Cell. Um, I just liked that part of it, and I think it's something that got overlooked from what was already a really good week in WWE television. Well, that will wrap up what is a loaded show for us on In This Corner. I want to encourage everybody, if you have not taken the time, but the 60 seconds to get out there on Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, review, it would be much appreciated. Spread the word for In This Corner using that hashtag on social media. Send in your DMs. We had to skip this segment this week, but we will be back strong for the people, by the people. We want to hear from you at the Costos, at Silverstein Adam, at B Campbell CBS. Also, check out our boxing installment this week as we talk to former junior world middleweight champion Austin Trout. We also preview that showdown this weekend. Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, and Canelo Alvarez from Las Vegas. But special thanks to 2K18 for the time for all the performers we talked to this week and shout out to the costos who will be back with us next week for the silver king adam silverstein this is brian campbell two words for you we out